0: Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 6. If we could all stand as we read and receive God's word as our act of worship, I do want to remind you if you do not have a Bible, there should be one in front of you a pew Bible underneath uh, the seat in front of you. It looks like this. Uh, It's on page 811. And I bring this up because if you uh, do not own a Bible, Please feel free to take this one, it's a gift to you, we want you, uh, we want, our mission is to get the Bible in everyone's hands, and so uh, if you don't own one, please feel free to take it, Um, and we will be looking at page 811, reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13, so please hear now the reading of God's word. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Friends, would you join me in prayer once more? God, we come to you in prayer, asking that you would speak to us. Uh, Speak to us as the God of the universe, the one who spoke powerfully and created everything with just your words. But also speak to us as our Heavenly Father. Address us as your children. Teach us, instruct us, help us to grow. Speak to us as our Savior, reminding us of what you have done for us in Jesus and how you took on our sins and you brought us to your Yourself, a task that we could never do. So speak to us, O oh Lord, for we, your church, your people, are listening. And for others here who do not yet know you, Father, I pray that by your spirit you would speak to them and that you would open their hearts to receive this word today from your scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if you're joining us for the first time or you haven't been here in a while, we've been in a two-month series uh, in prayer. And we are nearing the end of that series. We have one more week today and then another week tomorrow. But we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer, and today we find ourselves in the fourth and fifth petition. Now, at this point, I wanna point out that the Lord's Prayer uh, is named such not because it was a prayer that Jesus himself prayed. The Lord's Prayer is not a prayer that Jesus himself prayed, but it's called the Lord's Prayer because Jesus, as the Lord, taught the prayer to his disciples. And the reason I mention this is because the fifth petition that we're gonna read today is when Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts. And that's important for us to understand that Jesus himself never prayed this prayer. Jesus never sinned, and therefore he never needed to ask the Father's forgiveness. And so I don't want us to be confused here. So if the Lord's Prayer wasn't something that Jesus himself uh, had to pray, then what is it? And I would say that this prayer that is a lesson that he taught and he tailored to us specifically. It's a lesson in the school of prayer, which is why that we are digging into it. Uh, for two months, we've been spending our time in it. Um, I have a a couple of friends who in in this year, 2019, they've decided to preach uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, and so many of them are preaching Matthew 5 to 7, and as they all get to Matthew 6, they all end up spending one sermon on the Lord's Prayer, and when they ask me what I'm preaching, uh, I say, I'm doing a series on the Lord's Prayer, and they say, what do you mean a series? is not that just one sermon, and I look at them and I say, friends, well, we're spending eight weeks on it. Why? Because this is a lesson Jesus has given to us, and so it's worth spending our time in, really digging into. And in this part of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus finally shifts. For the first half of the prayer, he taught us to focus on God, your name, your kingdom, your will. And finally, Jesus moves to the part where we begin to pray our, our daily bread, our debts, lead us not into temptation. And so as we focus on verses 11 and 12, here's our gospel truth, the one-sentence summary of today's sermon. Praying for provision and pardon teaches us we are needy and dependent children, and God is a good and generous Father. Praying This prayer, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, for provision and pardon teaches us who we are, needy and dependent children, and who God is, a good and generous Father. And so today's sermon follows a very simple outline, simply provision and pardon. So let's start with this first point on provision. Jesus begins in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Now what does daily bread refer to? The interesting thing about this verse is that the early church fathers, men who wrote within a few hundred years after Jesus himself, they wanted to spiritualize petition because they thought it was way too common and too low of a request to ask God for something as simple as physical bread. And so in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, scholar John Stott writes this. He writes about these early church fathers. It seemed to them improper, especially after the no Three opening petition relating to God's glory that we should abruptly descend to so mundane and material a concern. And basically, these early commentators believe there's no way that bread can actually mean physical bread. It must be something spiritual, it must be something supernatural, because there's no way Jesus would teach us to pray for something as common as daily bread. And so they suggested all different kinds of interpretations. Some of them said, oh, daily bread must refer to the invisible bread, which is the word of God. And then others said, no, no, it must refer to the bread of the Lord's Supper. That's what we need to pray for. And they kept spiritualizing the meaning of bread because they refused to believe that it referred to something so simple and common as earthly provision. And on the one hand, it may seem really pious and holy to have this kind of interpretation. But at the heart of this issue is that these men, they were questioning and doubting something about the very nature and character of God. Why is it so difficult to believe that our Heavenly Father really cares about our earthly needs and our daily provision? You know, when Jesus speaks of bread, he is not speaking of some supernatural or spiritual thing as if the Father's only interested in providing for your soul. Instead, this prayer reveals something extraordinary about our God. He cares about the daily, nitty-gritty aspects of your life. There is no detail too small for him, too specific to bring before him. There's nothing he considers too common or too beneath him. And he invites you to bring those daily cares and concerns to him. So when you pray, Father, give us this day our daily bread, it's teaching you something about who God is. He's a good and generous Father. And he wants you to come to him with those daily needs. Now, when we say bread, we're not only referring to actual physical bread. I don't believe that's what it means. I believe it's really symbolic for all the necessities of life. Uh, Martin Luther, one of the great reformers, said this, he said, Daily bread is everything necessary for the preservation of this life, like food, a healthy body, good weather, house, home, wife, children, good government, and peace. He's saying the things we pray for are not the luxuries of life, but the necessities. And so Jesus is teaching us when he says, pray for your daily bread, he's saying the Father in heaven wants to provide and care for your every daily need. He is a good and generous Father. But when you pray and you ask God for your daily bread, it's also teaching you something about yourself. It reminds us, each one of us who prays this, that we are fundamentally needy, independent children. You know, all of us, we want to appear independent. We may claim to be independent. But Jesus is teaching us, you need to rely on God for the most fundamental, basic things of your life. And And that's good news, that's not bad news. Because when the Father calls you to pray to him, you're not coming to God as a daily beggar goes to the soup kitchen. The beggar goes to the soup kitchen hoping that somebody would show him some pity and bring him some food. But we come to God like a child goes to the dinner table. We come by right of invitation, by right of our adoption. And that's why when we pray, we pray first our Father in heaven. That reminds us not only who God is, a good and generous Father, but who we are, needy and dependent children. You know, this was a lesson that God always wanted his people to learn. It's not, it's not just a new lesson in the New Testament. If you remember that old story in the Old Testament in Exodus, when Israel was set free from slavery in Egypt, before they prom- entered the promised land, they wandered the desert for 40 years. And in that time, God was providing miraculously for them food from heaven, and it was a type of daily bread that they called manna. And God sent that every single day, except for on the Sabbath, but he sent it every single day to teach him this lesson. I want you to collect enough manna for the day. And if you try to collect enough manna for the second day, when they would wake up, it would all be spoiled and rotten. And God was teaching them, just as he's teaching us in this passage, every single day, I want you to come and lean on me because you are dependent and you are needy on me. Are you growing in dependence on God? For we know that Christian maturity is not growing in independence from God. Christian maturity is growing in more dependence on God. But, friends, we need to be careful because there are two errors that we can fall into, two wrong ways we can end up thinking. The first is this. If God wants me to pray for daily bread and and he's a good and generous father and he wants to provide all these things, then all we need to do is pray and we don't actually have to work hard, be responsible, plan wisely, oh God will take care of us. And although it's true that God provides our daily bread, that doesn't mean believers are to be lazy or idle and expect God to just provide in extraordinary ways at all times. God provides through the ordinary means. diligent work, diligent labor, discipline. You know, Apostle Paul, he was correcting an attitude in the Thessalonian church. So he writes in 2 Thessalonians, verse 3, verses 7 7 and 8, he writes, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked day and night. You know, Paul had experienced in his life all these miraculous ways that God had provided for him, yet that didn't stop him from toiling and laboring day and night through the ordinary means, because that's often how God chooses to answer our prayers. When I was doing college ministry for many years, you know, occasionally students would would text me, call me, and they would ask, hey, I have a test coming up, can you pray for me? Can you pray that I do well in the test? This is a big part of my grade. I don't want to fail, I don't want to retake the course. And whenever I got a prayer request like that, it was it was interesting because I'd always ask, well, have you been attending classes? Are you studying? Are you doing the homework? And you know the answer already. (laughs) They hadn't been faithful in any of those things. They would say, well, that's why I'm asking you to pray for me. And you know, if they would ask me, would you pray that I do well on this exam, but they didn't study, then I always felt like, like I couldn't pray for that. Like I knew God's answer already. And so I would say, listen... I'll pray for you. And they say, thank you. And I say, well, I'm not done. <laughs> I'll pray that God gives you a peaceful heart after you fail that exam. <laughs> Why? Because God works certainly in extraordinary means, but ordinarily, he works through the ordinary means. So we pray that God would provide, but that doesn't stop us from all the responsibilities we have to work, to save, to plan wisely, to steward well. God provides daily manna, but he doesn't always do it through miraculous bread from heaven. He does it through the job that you currently have. He does it through the car that he's given you to drive to work. He's he's done it through the physical health that you have so that you can actually work. God provides, but he often does it in the ordinary means. Now, the second error we can't fall into is the other side which is to overemphasize my responsibility so much so that I don't go to God for anything unless I'm absolutely sure it requires supernatural divine intervention. Some of us think this way. Well, I only need to pray for the very, very, very miraculous things because everything else I can take care of. And this attitude can be wrong as well. Because when we think this way, we're cutting God out of our lives. We're basically asking God to be on standby and only help us when we really feel he needs it. And for many, this is our natural tendency. That you only turn to God when things are out of your control, when things are out of your hands. And so we pray and we seek his help only when we've exhausted every option on our end. And it actually reflects something about how we view God. Why don't you want to go to God and bring every daily need and concern before him? It's because we view God in a certain way. You know, for myself, when people ask me for permission to do something really simple or, or they ask me, uh, repeatedly ask me the same questions, then I tend to respond, hey, you don't have to ask me every time, I trust you'll do the right thing. And I'm secretly, you know, parentheses saying, hey, stop bothering me, stop annoying me, why? Because the impatience of my heart gets annoyed at these things, I consider them bothersome. Now I trust I'm not the only one who feels this way. I only feel like being interrupted or bothered is worth it when one, it's either something really important and urgent or two, it's something only I can do. Then I will avail myself, then I will help. But other than that, hey, leave me alone. But is God like that? Is God in heaven saying, hey, don't bother me unless it's something really, really important or something only I can do? Does God really want to minimize FaceTime with you or does he want to maximize it? Does God care so much about efficiency that he only wants you to come to something when you can't do it on your own? And the answer, of course, is no. God is inviting you to come to him every day asking for daily bread, daily provision. And so praying, taking on the posture of praying, God, give us this day, daily bread and the things I need, reminds us of who God is, a good and generous Father, and who we are, needy and dependent children. And well, let me ask you, when you pray, or if you pray, are you reminded of these two things? When you come to God and you pray, are you aware of how good and generous and gracious He is? When you come to God and pray, are you aware of how dependent and needy you are on Him? Now, before I move on from this point, I do want to address two practical concerns. Two practical concerns about praying for daily provision. The first is this. I'm sure there have been times, and for we're being real here, there have been times that you have prayed for a daily need. Not a luxury, not something extravagant, something that you really, truly need. You prayed for it, and you did not receive it. These are necessities, not luxuries. And so when you've prayed for something that you truly need, and God seems not to be answering, the question is, well, if God didn't answer my prayer then, then how are we supposed to trust that this prayer thing works at all? If I prayed and I really needed this and God didn't deliver, then why should I ever pray again at all? And to be honest, when I was preparing for this sermon, this series, and reading through a lot of books on prayer, I found in all of these books an abundance of illustrations and stories about how God provided in extraordinary ways. Really encouraging stuff. Hudson Taylor, George Mueller, guys who ran hospitals and orphanages praying when they had nothing but a sack of rice and then praying on their knees and the next day, you know, a wagon full of right and all of these great, inspiring stories. And as I was thinking, which one should I share? This this thought struck me. I, I couldn't shake the feeling that as inspiring as all these stories are, they're a bit sometimes out of touch with reality. Because that's really not the everyday experience of people. Because if you've prayed before for a daily need, and I think many of you have, and God seems not to have answered, then you read a story like Hudson Taylor praying for food in order to keep his hospital running and God providing you, and you're going, well, that's not what's happening in my life. But I want to encourage you. If you've prayed for a daily need and it seems that God is not answering, here's what I want to encourage you. Here's how I want to encourage you. Remember in this prayer, that Jesus teaches us first to pray this. Before give us this day our daily bread, he teaches us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you submit and you surrender yourself to God's agenda and God's will, you are creating a priority list that you are bringing to God. You're asking God, if your will be done, come before me. God, you're first, I'll come second or third. And if you pray this way, then when some daily need is withheld from you, you can't conclude, God's not answering my prayer. God is answering your prayer. He's just not answering your prayer the way you want him to answer it. Because if you ask God, your will be done, and then God, my will, and then God chooses to answer his will and not yours, then friends, that's answered prayer. It's just not the one you want. Now on the one hand that can seem discouraging. Well how is that helpful? But it's actually very encouraging because if God is truly a good and generous father, then in his wisdom if he withholds a daily provision from you, if he withholds something from you that you believe you need, but he does it to accomplish his will, then you must believe that that is the better way. That that is the better way. You need to understand this. If you knew everything God knows, If you had access to all the information that God has, trust me, you would answer your own prayer request the same way he does, because he's wise. When you pray and it seems like it isn't answered, friends, your prayer is answered. And it's answered according to the better and wiser will of God our Father. And here's the second practical concern about praying for this daily provision. Sometimes when God answers prayers for our provision, it's not a matter of yes or no. We can't just simply work in black and white. Sometimes it's a matter of when. Just because God doesn't give us something now doesn't mean God is saying no. Wait is equally a valid answer. Wait is equally a valid answer. You know, I'll tell you this amazing story. I think I shared it with some of you. But as we were getting ready to move into this building in February, the last Saturday uh, cleaning we have before we started, uh, I was uh, working on some of the audio equipment and I found this uh, old cornerstone uh, bulletin from 2010. It was taped to, to the back of some uh, audio equipment. And, and as I was looking through it, uh, on the inner part of the uh, bulletin, it wasn't as full as ours is today. But there was a section on prayer requests and on prayer concerns. To my pleasant surprise, this is what it said: uh, to pray for the church's continual search for our own building for worship. Two thousand ten. Pray for the church's continual search for our own building for worship. And it was a real beautiful reminder because you know, as we're cleaning for cleaning the church and getting it ready for our first worship, you know, just a reminder, man. God graciously answered this prayer. And then I chuckled at the thought. But he sure did take his time. (laughs) He answered this prayer. It just took him nine years. (laughs) Now, think about this, especially those who have been at Cornerstone since that time. That prayer request was written in the bulletin, and you're praying, God, provide us a building. That's 2010. 2011 comes. You have no building. Oh, God said, no, God's not answering my prayer. 2011 comes, you pray. 2012 comes, you still don't have the building. Oh, God's not answering our prayer. 2013, 2014, every year after that, you can conclude God is not answering my prayer. But was God not answering your prayer or was he simply saying, wait, not yet. My provision will come in the time that you really truly need. It'll come at the exact time that I know it should come. Wait is equally a valid answer. When you pray for your daily bread, God will always answer. But he will always answer in the way of his wiser will, and his answer will either be yes, no, or sometimes wait. And that's great comfort in our prayers. So learn to pray for daily provision. God wants to hear these. And as you do, you learn something about God. He's a good and generous Father. You learn something about yourself. I am needy and dependent. Come to God with your daily concerns, your daily requests. There's nothing too mundane, too material, too common, too beneath him. Come to God and ask for daily provision. The second point is this, pardon. And that leads to the second part, our verse 12 of this passage. Jesus says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And Jesus is teaching his disciples, you need to pray for daily repentance and confession of sin. And we need to do this daily because praying your Confession, your repentance every day reminds you every day of how you are in God's debt, you cannot pay him back, and you need his grace in your life. You know, we confess, we do it publicly when we do the confession of faith, uh, but you also should confess it privately in your own homes, because what it does is it actually, do you ever sometimes uh, check your bank account? Oh, it's depressing, isn't it? You check it, and I could have sworn there's another zero in there. <laughs> Daily prayer is like checking your spiritual bank account and realizing, oh, I got no money. I got no currency to offer God. I owe God a debt because of my sin, but there's no way I can pay him back. That's why I'm praying for forgiveness of sins. Praying for forgiveness, praying for pardon, then reminds you of your neediness and your dependence on him. You know, Jesus, he calls it debt for a reason. Forgive us our debts. Now, some of you may have grown up with the version of the Lord's Prayer where you're taught, uh, forgive us our trespasses. Now, actually, uh, that's an inaccurate translation because the word trespasses and debts are actually two different words in the Greek. And the word used here is the word debt. And that's important because when I think trespass, or when many think trespass, you think, oh, that, that means you, you've crossed a line with God. When you're trespassing on someone's property, you've crossed over into their yard. You went a little too far, oh, I won't do it again, and you can scurry off. But that's not what Jesus is teaching us to confess. To ask God to forgive us our debts means that we, our sin is so offensive that we owe God a payment. That our sins can't be erased with a simple apology. Oh, sorry God. But requires restitution. It needs to be dealt with. And this distinction is important because to ask God for forgiveness is simply not saying, God, I've done wrong. I've disappointed you. God, would you just look the other way, please? Would you just turn a blind eye? Would you please overlook this one mistake? No, to ask God forgiveness is saying to God, God, I know there's a debt. I know I have no money, no currency to pay you back. Can you pay it for me? You're asking God to pay what you can't afford to pay. Now imagine this. Imagine you go over to somebody's house. And on the way out, you accidentally knock over a lamp that they have, and it breaks. And you feel horrible. But honestly, feeling bad about breaking someone's lamp doesn't actually do anything for the person who just lost a perfectly good lamp. Maybe it's an expensive lamp. So what do you do? What are your options if you break someone's lamp? One option is you pay the person back. You give them money to replace it or to fix it. And then you're paying back your debt. You're paying back what is owed. And then it's all good. But if you have no money or the lamp is so expensive that you don't have the money to pay, back, to pay it back, you can't pay your debt. So what do you do? You ask for forgiveness. But in asking for forgiveness, you are not asking that the debt go unpaid. The debt can't go unpaid because if you're asking someone for forgiveness, then what you're really asking is pay my debt in my place. Because, listen, if you break someone's lamp and you ask for forgiveness because you can't afford to replace it or fix it, then what you're basically saying when you're asking for forgiveness is, one, either they're going to buy another lamp, so they're going to have to pay for another lamp, or they're going to pay to fix it, or two, now they're going to have to live their lives without a lamp. So in either way, in either case, they are taking the hit. They are absorbing the loss for your offense. They are paying your debt in your place. You see, when you ask God to forgive you for the debt caused by your sins, you're admitting, God, this is too expensive, I can't repay you, but you're doing more than that. You're saying, God, can you pay my debt for me? But here's the thing about the debt of our sin. The debt of our sin is the cost of our lives. That's why Paul says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. So asking God to forgive your debt is simply not asking God to turn a blind eye to your sin. Asking God to forgive your debt is saying, God, I don't want to die as a payment for what I did wrong. Can you pay that debt for me? Now think about how offensive that is. Imagine somebody broke into your house. You just, you know, you don't trust the bank, so you had uh, some cash stored in your closet. They stole $10,000 from you. They stole it. Luckily, they get caught. You go to court. The judge orders them to pay back the $10,000. The person says, well, I don't have $10,000. So after uh, trial, that criminal comes up to you and says, dear friend, can I borrow (laughs) $10,000? You say, for what? To, To pay you back. How offended would you be? You just, they just wronged you, and yet they have the audacity to come to you and ask for you to pay back the debt that they owe to you? Yet that's exactly what's happening when we pray, God, forgive us our debts. We owe God something because of our sin. We owe him our life, the cost of our lives, and yet when we ask God to forgive us for saying, God, we can't pay back the debt or we don't want to pay back the debt, can you do it? You basically say, God, can you die for me? Can you pay back this debt at the cost of your life? Now imagine how offended God should be at something like that. How outrageous this request is. But here's the interesting thing as outrageous as this is, as wild as this is, there's a more outrageous, more perplexing, more uh, absolutely offensive response. And that's when God says, okay. That's when God says, okay. I will give up my son who lived a completely innocent life. I will give him up as a payment for your sins. You're asking that I die in your place after you offended me? Okay. Here's the gift of my son. Now that message, can you believe it? And if you don't believe it, don't you want to believe it? You know, the Christian gospel, the good news we believe is that before you even ask, God sent his son, Jesus, into the world to pay your debt of sin by giving up his life on a cross where you deserved to be. So many times we talk about Jesus' death as a sacrifice, and it is a sacrifice, but it's more. It was a payment. It was a payment for the debt that you owed to God so that Paul, in a Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 14, would say this. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. How? This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You see, when you pray, God, forgive me this day for my debts, when you pray for forgiveness, you're being reminded of two things. One, I'm a needy and dependent child. I cannot pay this on my own. And second, you're being reminded God is a good and generous father who would make the payment in your place. And on that cross, when Jesus died, he paid the full cost of your sin. All of it, he paid it all. See, this is the gospel. This is good news. The question is, do you believe it? Now, this question remains then. If Jesus died on the cross and he paid it all, then why do I need to daily repent? You just said Jesus died. If I believe once, isn't that enough? Why do I have to daily confess and ask for forgiveness? And that answer in this way. Daily confession is important because unrepented sin has a way of ruining our fellowship with God. For a believer, sin no longer has the power to keep you from God. Sin was the fence that Jesus Christ took out. So there is no barrier anymore to block you from God. God made sure to take care of that. But when you refuse to repent, when you're living in unrepentant sin, when the guilt and the shame and the unworthiness of sin burdens your heart, it actually keeps you from running into God's arms. The fence is gone. Now the issue is you. You're afraid, you're too ashamed to cross the barrier God has removed. And so confessing, repenting daily, asking God for daily forgiveness is simply a way of God applying his grace, reminding you of his grace, reminding you that in Jesus Christ he has bridged the way. So then how are you supposed to daily confess? What are you supposed to pray? And Jesus speaks here, he says, forgive us our debts. But remember the Lord's Prayer, it's a model prayer. It's not, we're not uh, simply to recite this prayer. So Jesus is actually uh, almost basically saying, fill in the details. What are your personal debts? Ask God for forgiveness for those things. Be personal, be specific. But let me ask you a question. If you've ever asked God for forgiveness, have you been personal, have you been specific, or do you confess generally, abstractly? God, forgive me for my sins. Or God, forgive me for that thought I had against my neighbor. God, forgive me for the impatience I had toward my child this morning. God, forgive me for disobeying and disrespecting Dad. Do you pray specifically and personally or generally and vaguely? You know, imagine this. Imagine you got pulled over on the way to church by a police officer. And as he came, before anything, he, he hands you a ticket. And you're confused, and all it says is this traffic violation. And you say, what's the ticket for? And he says, says it here. says traffic violation. That's what it's for. Would you just accept it and drive off? Or would you demand more specificity? You would demand, what violation did I commit was there a stop sign I didn't see and ran? Was I speeding? If so, how much over is one of my headlights out? What is this violation for? In the same way, when you're asking God to forgive your debts, which debts, which violations, which thoughts, which words, which deeds, which idols, which lies? Let me challenge you. When you confess your sins to God, don't allude to them ambiguously, hoping God will catch your drift. God, you You know the way I feel about that person. Forgive me. Instead, actually name them. Own up to your sin. Because if you're like me, you want to keep sin general. That's that's self-preservation. That's the way you protect yourself. Because I feel safer and I feel less guilty when sin is abstract. God, forgive me for sin. But as a result of that, it makes you less dependent on God because you don't actually think you need the abundance of His grace for each and every sin. You just need some grace to cover some sin. Don't let your pride keep you from getting specific and personal in your repentance and in your confession. You know, there once was a, uh, a poor college student who, who ran out of money in the middle of the semester but he was too proud to ask his parents because he said, you know, I don't, I don't, need, I don't need money. I'm, I'm 19 years old. I'm independent. So he said, oh, but I really need money. So he had this great idea. I'm going to write my parents an email like I do usually, just updating them. Um, but, oh, man, I'm too proud to ask them for money. And so he decided the most subtle way he would do this is that every time the letter S appeared, he would replace it with the dollar sign. And he thought to himself, man, they'll surely catch the drift. And so he sent this message full of dollar signs, and not long after his dad responded, dear son, say no more. I know your need. A gift is on its way and the boy said oh thank god a few days later he received the package from his father and he opened it up but to his disappointment there was no money in it instead his dad had sent him a brand new computer keyboard with a note that said hope the s button on this keyboard works better than your old one love dad (laughs) now like this son i think some of us are too proud to ask god to forgive specific sins It is pride keeping you from admitting and claiming and owning up to your sins. Now, of course, there's a major difference. Unlike the Father in this story, God knows our needs even before we say them. God knows our sins even before we confess them. So the problem isn't that God doesn't know, the problem is sometimes we don't know. Like we don't know how evil our sin is until you've uttered them on your lips and then you shudder at the thought that that is what you said, that is what you thought, that is what you did. We're not aware of the full debt we owe God until we own up to the sins and we are able to confess, I did these things. But as you confess specific sins that you need forgiven, then the precious blood of Jesus Christ becomes even bigger, you have a clearer vision of it spilled for that sin. Because you need to know this, a generic confession will lead to a generic Christ. But the more personal your confessed sins, the more personal your crucified Savior. Generic confession, you got a generic Christ. Personal confession, personal crucified Savior. Now as we close our time together, remember this. God invites you to pray to Him because He is a good and generous Father and He knows you are needy and dependent. So pray for daily provision, pray for daily pardon. You know, prayer is good for you because it really helps you understand who God is and who you are. And so this week, very practically, focus on two things on prayer. Focus on praying for provision and pardon. Pray for your body and the daily bread you need. Pray for your soul and the daily forgiveness you need. And as you focus on these two things this week, May you come to know your Father in heaven who is good and generous and gracious to you in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. As we close our time, I do invite you just for a a moment of personal response and personal prayer. If the Holy Spirit has used the word of God to um, convict you or move you or bring certain thoughts, perhaps you need to confess. Repent, perhaps you need to make your desires clear before the Father who wants to hear. But in either case, come before the Father as we respond in prayer. Now may the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who paid it all and the love of God the Father Almighty who gave his Son for us and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all both now and forevermore. Amen. Hear the words of dismissal. Let us go forth to serve the world as those who love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Go in peace, friends.